Legacy Podcasts present Torque, a novel by Ty Drago, performed for you by the author, and featuring music by Nicholas Allen Nelson. The 33rd Cog. Julia. Ainsley stood rooted in place, too stunned to think, much less move. She heard Lucy curse loudly and watched in helpless horror as the keepers on the lift platform rushed at them. She guessed their orders had apparently been to take the fugitives alive, since they hadn't drawn their pistols or swords. She also noted the way Percy stepped aside, out of harm's way, still blowing his whistle. Meanwhile, Rand surged forward. He sidestepped the first keeper, delivering a kidney punch that sent the man stumbling away in agony. Then he seized a second man and literally threw him into a third, the sheer force of their collision enough to knock both keepers off their feet. Three keepers down in as many seconds. The other two keepers, Percy notwithstanding, looked conflicted. They obviously wanted to draw their weapons despite whatever orders they'd received, but the looks of consternation on their faces made Ainsley guess their indecision would be fleeting. Lucy and Rand dragged Ainsley back to the plaza stairway only to find the keepers they bluffed past now blocking any escape. Nowhere to run, pronounced the man who reviewed their lift maintenance papers. Rand didn't reply. He simply grabbed the keeper he'd kidney-punched, spun him around, and pushed him down the steps. All four keepers tried to jump clear, but they weren't fast enough. The injured man crashed into them, knocking three down and sending the last one reeling backward. Rand, meanwhile, had charged down the stairs right behind the pushed keeper, he hit one staggering man hard enough in the face to shatter his nose. Then he pivoted and kicked the head of another who'd managed to get to his knees. The other two stayed down. Come on, he called. His words finally snapped Ainsley out of her shock-induced stupor, and together with Lucy, she hurried from the platform. Behind them, Percy continued to blow his whistle while the remaining keepers finally drew their guns. Rand, Lucy, and Ainsley crossed the empty pre-dawn plaza to a desperate run. With every step, Ainsley's mind reeled. Julia, why? Which way? Lucy demanded. Ainsley pointed toward the boutique district. We can hide, she gasped. I know a place. Let's do it, Rand agreed, not sounding the least bit winded. They reached the first row of shops that lined the edge of the plaza about a hundred feet ahead of the pursuing keepers. At this early hour, the stores were all closed. Any of them might make a good hiding place in the short term. But soon the owners would arrive open for the day. Then they'd find the fugitives and raise a fresh alarm. However, Ainsley thought she knew one that wouldn't. This way, she said breathlessly. After five minutes of random weaving in and out of the narrow crisscross of streets that formed the boutique district, Ainsley found the right shop. By now, Percy's whistle had been joined by others. Keeper reinforcements. Back here, Ainsley declared, leading them off the street and down one of the many service alleys. On either side stood delivery doors for various shops. Ainsley stopped outside one in particular and tried its latch. Locked. Is this the place? Rand asked her. She nodded. He stepped back and kicked. The door burst inward, and the three of them tumbled inside. Rand tried to shut the door behind them, but its latch was now hopelessly broken. Fortunately, there was a sliding deadbolt that no one had thought to push into place. He did so now. The door stayed closed. Lucy whirled on Ainsley. Your so-called friend turned us in. I know. Ainsley replied, feeling nauseous. I can't believe it. I didn't trust her, the lower girl declared. I don't care what paper she stole for us. She had her nose a mile high the whole time. It wasn't Penny. It was her sister, Julia. Julia? asked Lucy, looking perplexed. 
You mean the little moron? Not that much of a moron, Rand pointed out. When I woke up in her kitchen, she was there. She kept looking at me like I was a two-headed rat, or some other interesting but slightly disgusting curiosity. She wanted to know if I was really Torque. What did you tell her? Ainsley asked. The truth. But there was something about the look on her face. I didn't much like it. It's hard to explain. Who was that lud back at the lifts? Lucy asked Ainsley. The one who recognized you. I met him about a week ago when Julia and I went down to the middle market to look for... Then she put it together and felt even sicker. Julia and Percy. Are they partnered? The lower girl asked. Until just now, I had no reason to think so, Ainsley replied. I mean, Julia flirted with him, but she does that with everybody. On the other hand, I haven't seen her, or Penny, all week. Too much has been happening. Rand said, she somehow got word to Percy about us. Gabaphone, Ainsley supposed. What's a gabaphone, he asked. Who cares, Lucy exclaimed, then to Ainsley. I thought she was supposed to be your friend. She is my friend, Ainsley replied. Not from where I'm standing. Ainsley covered her face with her hands, if only to keep the other two from seeing her tears. Then her knees buckled and she sank to the floor of the shop, the folds of her dress settling around her. She didn't sob. She refused to let it go that far. I'm sorry, she managed to say. I'm so sorry. Then, more to herself than to them, she added, I've lost everything. She dropped her hands and looked up at the lower folk. Rand's eyes held some sympathy, but Lucy's were stone. What you've lost, Lucy said, is more than I ever had, ever dreamed of having. Ainsley nodded miserably. I know. Rand remarked, Loss is loss. I'm sorry, but right now the only thing that matters is figuring out a way to get down the drop in time to warn everybody about Gammon's culling. The lifts are the only way, Ainsley said, and we won't get near them now. You're too quick to give up, Lucy told her flatly. I'm trying to be realistic for a change, Ainsley shot back. It's not like there are any stairs or ladders to go from the uppers to the middle market. It's too far. Just the lifts. It's always been that way. Lucy uttered a derisive snort and turned her back. The gesture was meant to look dismissive, but Ainsley knew what the lower girl was feeling. Lucy's stamper was many things, but good at hiding her emotions wasn't one of them. Jad and Jared were down there. If I had just one steam cartridge, Rand mused. Could you make one? Ainsley suggested. I wouldn't even know how. Could you maybe try, she pressed. Where and with what? The cartridges were made by upper folk, obviously, but probably not around here. More likely some factory down in the middle built the pipe and its ammunition in secret. He was right, of course. How can you be so calm, she demanded. Every keeper in the uppers is looking for us, and you have to know what'll happen if, when, they find us. Nearby, Lucy snorted again. Apparently she knew. What should I be doing? Rand asked matter-of-factly. Panicking? I've never kenned the point of panic. I mean, sure, I'm scared. It'd be crazy not to be. But curling up in a ball and waiting for the hangman's noose? That just doesn't work for me. Then what does work for you? Ainsley demanded. For now, how about if we just stop and take a breath? It's been a long night. She looked at Lucy, but the lower girl still wouldn't face her. Instead, as Ainsley watched, Lucy settled herself down on the floor of the shop, sitting with her legs crossed. After a moment, Rand sighed and joined her. There are chairs over there, Ainsley said. Try them at your house, Lucy replied without looking at her. Didn't like them. I'm solid right here, said Rand. Ainsley considered getting up and fetching one for herself, but who cared, really? The three of them lapsed into a helpless silence. Minutes passed. What kind of shop is this? Lucy asked suddenly. Ainsley, who'd been lost in her own thoughts, replied, What? What do they sell here? Oh, it's a haberdashery. I know the owner. She just had a baby. 
That's how I knew it would be closed. Haberdashery, Lucy echoed. What's this upper last cell? Hats, of course. Hats? Ainsley pointed to the walls where literally dozens of hats sat atop custom stands on long glass shelves. Lucy blinked. What do you do with them? Oh, come on, you have to know what a hat is. I've heard of them, Lucy replied defensively, but I always figured they were to keep the rain off you or shield your eyes from the sun. Two problems that we don't have in the lowers. But these things are pointless. Some don't even have brims, and most look like they'd fall apart if they got wet. The lower girl was right. In her life, Ainsley had worn countless hats, most of them bought or discarded based on the current trends. Yet how often had she run for shelter during a spring shower just so her hat wouldn't be ruined? It had never occurred to her that such things could be used to protect her from the rain. That was what umbrellas were for, but not parasols. Parasols were for sunny days. These things used to matter to her. They are pointless, Ainsley said. Everything I did was pointless. Finally, she's catching on, Lucy muttered. Rand said, listen, the whistles have stopped. And they had. The street outside their hiding place was now quiet. Ainsley couldn't even detect the sounds of the neighboring shops opening up. Had the keepers closed the entire district? Then, in the distance, she heard a mechanical sound, both strange and horribly familiar. Oh, Jai, she gasped. Rand stood. That's Grabber. Lucy's face flushed with alarm. Grabber, one of those monsters? He nodded. They all got to their feet. Listening as the scraping sound of metal against metal, sharp and dry, drew steadily closer. What's it doing? Ainsley asked. Rand replied, I think it's hunting us. Ainsley recalled what Rand said about the uselessness of panic. The advice helped, a little. It won't find us in here, Lucy whispered. Will it? Real grabbers hunt by sound and movement, Rand told them. If this one's anything like rat, then it'll share at least some of those traits. Maybe Gammon closed the district so Grabber wouldn't have any distractions. It didn't find us last night, Ainsley pointed out. We should stay quiet, Rand said. But it slithered right past us in the park, Rand said softly. Maybe that's because Gammon sent it straight to the drop. He didn't mention anything about stalking us on the green. In the end, gadgets are gadgets. All they can do is what you tell them. But this time, he's probably ordered Grabber to hunt. Rand faced both girls. You two should sneak out while you can. I'm the one it's after. Not a chance, Lucy replied with iron-hard conviction. Me neither, Ainsley agreed. Whatever happens, we stick together. The lower girl added, Besides, what would splitting up buy us? How far do you think we'd get? We might as well. Something moved behind the shop, just on the far side of the steel wall. Whatever it was sounded big, lightly filling the entire width of the alley. Ainsley stifled a cry. Rand held out his hands. He had enormous hands, even larger than her father's had been. Ainsley took one and Lucy the other, letting Rand lead them both gingerly toward the front of the shop and away from the noise in the alley. If they could just stay quiet and keep from being... Something huge tore open the haberdasher's rear wall. Something with teeth. Looking in horror, Ainsley spotted Grabber's gigantic head through the ragged hole it had made. Its enormous mouth was ripping away huge chunks of metal sheeting, iron structural girders, and hats, lots of hats, widening the opening. Its eyes, those awful, fiery eyes, now had twin sheets of thick glass bolted over them. Gammon had apparently learned from Rat's blinding. Abandoning all caution, the three of them rushed for the front of the shop, without breaking stride, ran through his weight against the street door. But this door proved stronger than the one in the alley. Its metal hinges groaned, but held. 
Rand body slammed the door again and again, feverishly, throwing everything he had into each fresh assault. It occurred to Ainsley that the lower boy almost looked like a mechanism himself. Meanwhile, Grabber, with its prey clearly in sight, wormed its way deeper into the shop, coming close enough for Ainsley to smell something, coal fire maybe, wafting out of its open mouth in place of a living creature's breath. Rand tossed his pipe to Lucy. The light, he exclaimed. Ainsley didn't know what he meant, but the lower girl did. Whirling around, she held out Torque's pipe and flipped a switch. Light shone from one end, catching the monster full in its face. Grabber roared and recoiled. It bought them only a few seconds, but it was enough. The door burst open. Rand staggered out onto the street with the girls right behind him. Ainsley noticed he was limping. The boutique district stood eerily deserted despite the morning hour. Apparently, Rand had been right about Gammon closing off the entire area. But how? How could the Commandant, even with Baird's backing, introduce metal monsters into the uppers without someone protesting? Then again, her father had protested. You two head that way, Rand exclaimed, taking back Torque's pipe and pointing with it down the narrow street. I'll lead it off. You can't, Lucy protested. You're hurt. I'm fine. Go. If that thing kills us all, then there's no hope of warning the lowers. We have to split up. No! From inside the shop came the sound of tearing metal. Grabber, now recovered, was coming for them. Rand looked pleadingly at them both. Think about the Ludlings. Then he limped away, the old satchel still slung over one shoulder, moving as fast as he was able. Lucy started after him, but she didn't get two steps before Grabber's enormous jaws ripped through the haberdasher's frontage, shattering glass and shearing through thick iron plates like a knife through fresh bread. Crying out, Ainsley pulled the lower girl back with an instant despair. No! Lucy screamed again. Grabber's eyes flashed at the two girls, then swiveled on greased gears and looked down the street after Rand. Then, just as Rand had predicted, the Vindicator set off in pursuit of the injured lower boy. Torque. Ainsley thought with desperate despair. Hero. Uttering a moan of heart-wrenching grief, Lucy followed Ainsley in the opposite direction. They ran down one empty street after another before reaching the edge of the district. Here, hundreds of upper folk filled the market plaza. Most had probably come to shop only to find the boutiques closed. As a group, the crowd seemed agitated, even frightened. From the buzz of conversation, they'd witnessed Grabber's arrival on the scene and subsequent deployment. What had the keepers told them? That the monster was on their side? Probably. We have to find Rand, Lucy exclaimed. I can, Ainsley replied, using the lower's word without even realizing it. At least if Grabber's here, then Gammon hasn't sent it down to the middle market yet. Lucy asked a little desperately. But what about the other two? Rat got pretty badly damaged last night. As for the third one, I don't even... The two of them were suddenly seized. Got you, Keeper Percy yelled triumphantly. Then, shaking them both, he demanded, Where's Torque? He had Ainsley's upper arm in one fist and Lucy's in the other. Almost without thinking, Ainsley whirled and slapped his face as hard as she could. The blow surprised him, but not enough to make him release his grip. Then Lucy's hand flashed, her makeshift knife slashing Percy's face from ear almost to the corner of his mouth. Blood sprayed both girls. Percy screamed and recoiled, releasing them and clutching at his wounded face. Run! Lucy cried. They ran, getting exactly three steps before colliding with a wall of keepers. This time the gripping hands were surer and stronger than Percy's. There were also more of them. Lucy screamed in savage frustration as her knife was taken away, wildly kicking at the men who held her. Ainsley, on the other hand, felt herself deflate. There wasn't any hope. If she were honest with herself... There never really had been. Both girls were manacled and dragged through the crowd in the direction of the lift platform. Curious murmurs followed them as the upper folk parted. 
More than a few whispered Ainsley's name. Not too surprisingly, she'd been recognized. They emerged into an open area of the plaza, near the lift platform steps. Here, the keeper contingent on hand had to top two dozen, many of them working crowd control, with others guarding their leader. Gammon. The commandant wore his best dress uniform. He stood at the platform railing, lording over the assembled crowd. The whole thing felt so staged that Ainsley wondered if a public rally had been called. More likely, though, with both the lifts and the boutique district closed, Gammon had anticipated a crowd and decided to play to it. Except his audience wasn't looking at him. Instead, the crowd's attention focused on the boutique district. At Grabber. The Vindicator slithered out from amidst the first row of shops, scattering the upper folk before it. As everyone watched, some in wonder, but others, maybe most, in horror, the monster weaved its way across the plaza, its massive head moving to and fro, its flaming eyes taking in everything. Ainsley looked at Lucy. They were both thinking the same thing. Where was Rand? As Grabber neared the lift platform, its great bulk filling the open space between the front row of onlookers and the six-foot-high wall that formed the lip of the platform, Gammon raised a hand. Immediately, the monster stopped, its iron body going weirdly still. After a few moments, the crowd's nervous murmuring quieted. Gammon raised the speaker's box to his lips. Do you have him? he asked Gabber, his voice artificially amplified. The monster's metallic lips curled back, revealing a partially open mouth. There, trapped behind a prison of iron fangs, crouched Rand Roberts. The lower boy's face was bloodied, but his eyes remained as calm as ever. Lucy wailed and started struggling again, but the keepers held her fast. Well done, Gammon declared. His entourage began to applaud. Gradually, hesitantly, the applause was taken up by the crowd. Icy cold certainty chilled Ainsley to the bone. The commandant said, People of the uppers, see how your keep protects you. This miraculous device, affectionately called Grabber after the creature of the bowels, has proven its worth by capturing Torque. This time, the crowd applauded with more enthusiasm. Bring him here! The Vindicator slithered obediently forward and raised its head until it cleared the edge of the lift platform. Torque, Gammon pronounced, still playing to his audience. You stand guilty of sedition. Rand said something back, though without a speaker's box of his own, only Gammon heard it. The Commandant laughed and addressed the crowd. Defiant to the end. Torque, your crimes are beyond redemption, but I will offer you a choice. You may surrender and submit to public execution, or I can order Grabber to crush you and consume your remains. No, Lucy screamed so loudly that a keeper had to clamp a hand over her mouth. In contrast, Ainsley found that she could make no sound. Her throat had closed up. Rand shouted something just loud enough to reverberate through Gammon's speaker box. Think I'll go with the third option. You have no third option, boy, Gammon called back. Yeah, I do. I can go home. Then he slipped between two of Grabber's teeth and jumped down onto the platform. The crowd uttered a collective gasp. Ainsley felt her heart pound faster. Rand rolled and came up running. He still limped, but it wasn't slowing him down. Before Gammon's guards could close in, Rand shouldered the Commandant aside, knocking the big man completely off his feet. One particularly quick-thinking keeper seized Rand from behind, but the boy crouched, slipping slickly out of his grasp before rising again and elbowing the fellow in the throat. Then he pushed his way past two more of Gammon's guards, who snatched at him, but instantly lost their grips. Grease! Ainsley realized, nearly laughing. Rand had used the pipe's last cartridge to grease himself. Gabber! Gammon yelled. Kill him! The Vindicator surged over the railing and onto the lift platform, knocking keepers aside. 
With a hiss, it lunged, jaws snapping, missing Rand by inches. But in its haste, its mouth closed around a nearby keeper, crushing and killing the upper man instantly. Idiots! Gammon exclaimed, shrieked really. Rand, still limping, made for the platform's railing and the drop beyond. For an instant, Ainsley felt a glimmer of hope. Perhaps he'd figured out a way to survive the fall. But then, despite the distance, she read the look on his face. Resignation. This wasn't a desperate bid for freedom. This was a hero, choosing his own way to die. No, she heard herself say. Nearby, Lucy had given up and now hung, limp and helpless, in the keeper's arms. Her dark, tear-filled eyes were locked on the lift platform. On Rand. Stop him! the commandant demanded. Grabber's huge head turned, tracking its prey. Rearing up, its jaws snapped forward again, lightning quick. Rand dove. He belly-flopped onto the floor of the lift platform and let the grease and momentum carry him, fast and slick, across the remaining distance, under the railing, and over the edge. Without a sound, Rand Roberts was swallowed up by the drop. Lucy wailed. Ainsley tried to reach for her, but was clubbed on the head for her trouble. The keeper's blow had a lot of power behind it. Almost instantly, little colored explosions went off behind her eyes. Then everything went black. The 34th Cog. I blew it. Rand felt no fear, only a dull, sick regret. He'd tried to be Torque, but here he was, falling through darkness, leaving Lucy and Ainsley stranded in the uppers, and with Grabber about to be unleashed on the lowers. That's what came from pretending to be a hero. He kept falling. The drop was two miles deep, top to bottom. That left him plenty of time to ruminate. Most people might have screamed or prayed, or, if they were lucky, passed out before they hit bottom. Rand thought. He could attempt to save himself, maybe spread his body out as he had the first time, increase his drag, and then try to grab a broken cable or bit of old piping. But even if such a thing presented itself, given the speed of his descent, he'd likely tear off an arm. There was no getting around it. He was going to die. He kept falling. The world opened up briefly as he reached the middle and emerged from the upper drop. For only a second or two, Rand could see the rows of shops on one side of him and the heat exchangers and other machinery where old Torque had battled the keepers on his other. In the distance, the factory stood, huge and blocky against the backdrop of the machine's outer wall. And he could see people. Lower folk, more than usual, were on hand in the machine's primary marketplace. The lack of a keeper presence had lured them there in droves. Those with coin shopped, the rest mingled or begged or even swiped, but all remained blissfully unaware of what was coming. He looked for the Ansies, his lings, but of course he had nothing close to enough time to spot them, even if they were there. The lower drop swallowed him up a second later. He was falling fast now, the world around him a gray blur, hardly seeming real. The bottom of the drop had to be close. He couldn't see it, of course. He supposed he could switch on his pipe lamp, but really, what would be the point? Lucy once told him that the dead can stuff the living don't. Maybe he'd finally meet his parents. It was, he decided, a stupid thing to think right before dying. Darkness. Stench. Cold. Any moment now. Silence. Rand? The voice seemed to come from inside his head, not outside. Which told Rand that he'd hit the thick muck at the bottom of the drop and was now dead. Except death didn't feel like he'd imagined. For one thing, he was sore and cold. He hoped all of eternity wouldn't be sore and cold. Rand? What? Rand replied, but with his mind, not his lips. 
There'd be no more talking, not for him. His mouth and tongue were crushed to pulp, along with the rest of his body. Rat food. You kept your promise. You came home. I don't have a home. A familiar laugh. No name. Crazy little no name. Sure you do. The flop. Not anymore. I'm dead. Are you? Aren't I? Honestly, I'm not sure. Life, death. Another distinction that always confuses me. Rand wished he still had a head to shake in exasperation. Root, he muttered again in his mind. That's me, and I've been waiting a long time for you. I wasn't gone that long, less than a day. More laughter. Always so literal. Not waiting for you to come back from the uppers. Waiting for you to come back to the machine. Huh? Torque, the lower's champion, the hero. Rand's regret felt like a dead weight. I'm no hero. Aren't you? A hero wouldn't have left Ainsley and Lucy to die up there. You didn't have much choice, No Name reminded him. And as it happens, you did the smartest thing you could have. By jumping to my death? Again, with that death assumption. I just fell two miles. Solid. But tell me, were you scared just now? What? Falling. Falling two miles down the drop to certain doom, No Name said. Did it scare you? Not really. Then what were you feeling? Or were you just enjoying the breeze through your hair? Rand ignored the jibe. Why does it matter? Tell me. I'm not interested in talking to a confessor, Rand said. He wasn't angry, really, just tired. But how could he be dead and tired? Okay, forget what you were feeling. Let's talk about what you weren't feeling. Anyone else would have been terrified. How would being terrified have helped anything? Do you ken how rare that point of view is? And Rand did ken it. He'd always known his self-preservation instinct was relaxed compared to most folks. It was something he'd stopped wondering about years ago. I guess so. So I'll ask again. What were you feeling? It wasn't a command or even a plea. Just a request to cut the crap and answer the question. So Rand, unsure of where all this was going, did. Shame. Regret? Why? Because I failed everybody. You talk like it's over. Well, I'm dead, Rand replied. That's about as over as it gets. You're not dead, Rand. I've got to be. I just fell two miles. There's a very old saying. It's not the fall that kills you. It's the sudden stop at the end. What, is that supposed to be funny? I've always found it worth a laugh. But then the joke's older than I am, and I like things that are older than me, usually. Are you trying to tell me that I didn't stop at the end of my fall? I'm trying to tell you that the stop wasn't all that sudden. No name replied. Here's the thing, Rand. You're a very rare person. One in a million doesn't say it. One in ten million might not be enough. In fact, in all the world, which is a good deal bigger than you think it is, you might be unique. You'd have to be to have dragged me out of my long, empty existence. I owe you for that and I pay my debts. I still don't know what you're talking about, Rand complained, though without rancor. The Ludling babbled. It was his thing. Remember the day we met? You mean eight days ago? Let me think. Don't be a wise-ass. You're no good at it. Do you remember what happened that day? I remember you being attacked by three stainers in that knot in the bowels. No name said. Never happened. Yeah, it did. I was there. Those stainers never attacked me. They couldn't see me. 
They were just fighting over my satchel. And they only attacked you because they thought you wanted to take it from them. Rand considered this. What do you mean they couldn't see you? You were standing right there. That's solid. Except for the fact that no one can see me. No one but you. That's crazy. Noname didn't reply. Lucy and my Ludlings saw you, up in the black. Did they? Think about it. So Rand thought about it. Lucy had talked to Rand. Rand had talked to Lucy. But he couldn't recall a point where Lucy so much as glanced at Noname. Nope. Crazy. Those keepers guarding the market lift platform that day, Rand said, working it out. They couldn't see you either. Noname giggled. They were pretty confused. What with being slammed with an invisible satchel. But your satchel is visible. I took it with me to the uppers. Ainsley saw it. She handled it. It's not visible when I'm holding it. In the knot, I put it down for a moment, which was when the stainers came by. Anything on my person is instantly rendered unseeable. Otherwise, clothes would be a bit of a problem for me, wouldn't you say? And Rand supposed, in a dreamy sort of way, that made sense. Is it a god thing? That makes it sound as if I can hide or show myself at will. I can't. Only the right kind of person is able to see me. I get no say in the matter. The right kind of person? The hero kind. Rand groaned, and for a moment he thought maybe he'd done it out loud. But of course he didn't have a mouth anymore. Stop calling me a hero. Everybody seems to be doing that lately. At that, No Name laughed uproariously. It's not funny, Rand snapped. It's ironic, considering who you are. I'm nobody. How's your ankle? What? You sprained it, getting Lucy and Ainsley out of the haberdashery. How does it feel now? Rand paused, taking stock. It hurts. And you figure dead Luds can feel their sprained ankles? How should I know? I've never been dead before. And yet you're quite sure that you're dead now. Then what am I? How about not dead? Okay, Rand said. Then where am I? At the bottom of the drop. So I did hit the bottom. You reached the bottom. It's not the same thing. I can't move. Oh, you can do so much more than just move. But I can't. Of course you can. You're just choosing not to. The same way you've been choosing not to all along. You gave me grief when I said I'd spent the last thousand years wandering the bowels. But haven't you been doing the same thing? Not for a thousand years, of course, but you've been hiding as much as I have. For Root's sake, Rand demanded, I don't understand any of this. For my sake? Really? It's an expression. I know. A pause, then. When you first saw me, what did I look like? More puzzles, Rand thought miserably. But he answered anyway. A Ludling. But you're not. Right on both counts. How old a Ludling? Seven or eight, I suppose. Why does it matter? You didn't recognize him? Recognize who? You? Well, I shouldn't be surprised. Okay, answer this one. What's your earliest memory? At this point, who cares? I do. Tell me, please. I remember finding Lucy in the bowels. Or maybe she found me. I've never been sure. And you don't remember anything before that? No. How old were you? It all seemed pointless, but what else did he have to do? I don't know, seven or... His thoughts came to a screeching halt. In the darkness, he pictured No Name's small body, but not so small. A ling with some weight coming, some significant size and strength in his future. You're me. I simply took your form. To be fair, I don't blame you for not realizing it.
You live, after all, in a world without mirrors. Why would you want to look like I did when I was a Ludling? I'd hoped it would speed things along, help you remember. Remember what? Rand demanded. I never know what you're talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Now get up. I can't. I can't move. When No Name next spoke, his tone was more urgent, more immediate. You have another choice to make, Rand Roberts. Time moves differently in the mind than in the machine. Hours have passed while you've wallowed here, feeling sorry for yourself. Now, you can lie in the filth and keep pretending, or you can finally open your eyes and see things as they really are. Open my eyes? Yeah, do it. Rand opened his eyes. He wasn't dead. Instead, he lay face up in a pile of sticky, stinking refuse, with rats skittering all around him. Overhead, the drop was a gray, vertical tunnel, the top of it lost in the distance. The slime covering him was cold, so cold that his limbs had gone partially numb, which perhaps explained the dead feeling. Well, that in the smothering darkness. No name? he called aloud. I'm here, the Ludling replied, a spoken voice this time. Rand sat up, his upper body making a nauseating sucking sound as it escaped the muck. Where? I've lost my pipe. I can't see you. The pipe, scoffed No Name. The way his voice echoed made it hard to determine the direction. That's a toy, a feeble shadow made by feeble people. You don't need it. You never did. What is it you want from me? Rand asked. What is it you want from yourself? Can't you just talk plain? I am talking plain. It's a plain question. What do you want from yourself? Faces flashed through Rand's mind. Lucy and Ainsley, Jad and Jared, the lower folk in the middle market right now who didn't know about Project Vindicator. I want to save them, he exclaimed. I want to save them all. Then do it. How? You've been so eager to know my name, when the name you really need to know is your own. My name's Rand Roberts. That's who you are. Not what you are. I'm nothing, Rand screamed. What are you? Stop it. What are you, Rand Roberts? I don't ken. Yeah, you do. You always have. You even said so to Ainsley the first time you met her. What? Think back. Don't you remember? And he did remember. It had been the first time he'd worn the golden armor. Ainsley, Lucy, and the Lings were about to be whipped in the middle market, and Rand had stopped it. Afterward, Ainsley had asked who he was, and he'd replied. I'm Tork, Rand whispered. What? No name asked eagerly, even joyfully. I didn't catch that. So, in terror and gratitude, Rand Roberts repeated it. I'm Tork. Around him, words of golden light burst forth along the walls of the drop. With things at their most dire, get ready to meet the real Torque in the next episode of Torque by Ty Drago. If you just can't stand the wait, the full novel is available in paperback and ebook formats on Amazon.com. Thanks for listening.